Yeah, we, uh, we roll the punches here. God is good, and it is fun being with you. My name is Matt. Um, I get to pastor with Tyler, who you heard from earlier. He's down in like Kids this week, leading down there. So, yeah, it is a joy and honor to pastor here. Um, we are going to kick off a new sermon series this morning, and I'm going to kick it off with a question, a very basic question. How do you choose a restaurant to eat at? How do you choose a restaurant to eat at? Are you a person who has their tried and true few places? Or do you like to explore new places? Or are you a, similar to me, whatever's cheapest kind of guy, okay? Or maybe you don't love food as much as I do, and you don't put nearly as much thought into food as I do, and you're like, that question is absolute nonsense, all right? So think about that. So whatever, whether it's a date night between Sarah and I, or late night snackies with the boys, or a lunch meeting here at City Light, it usually for me revolves around two questions. What have I had recently? And what sounds good, okay? Not a ton of depth there. And I'll admit for all of us in the office, I don't think anybody has ever asked the question, what restaurant is going to be the healthiest option, okay? <laughs> Nobody is going through uh, the Iowa food inspection violation saying, hey, what, what, what violation does this restaurant have? Should we eat there? Like our minds tend to dwell on the very short-term satisfaction. But the thing is, in our lives, in our families, in our churches, the questions that we ask accomplish two critical things. They reveal values and they reinforce values. So what neighborhood are the kids going to get the most candy in tonight? What side of the family are we going to spend which holiday with and when? How should I spend my time, my money, and my energy? What should I spend it doing? Even what church should I go to? They reveal what matters. Questions tear through all the clutter in the world and in our lives, and they get at the heart of what we care about and what's crucial to our day and ultimately what we are invested in. And they, all, they also reinforce what matters. They keep us focused on what is critical. They keep us talking and monitoring the values on which our families and churches are built on. It is good to ask questions. It's good to ask questions. If you're parents with kids who ask tons of questions, that's a good thing. Or if you are older, you can thank my generation for being the question-asking generation. We are literally the Y generation. I don't know if you know that. Anybody 39 and below is categorized in the Y generation. It's a fact. I looked it up. We, I just want everybody to know, we are not asking questions, and we are not asking why in order to stall or to show off or to, like, disrespect authority. It literally, 99% of the time, is an honest question. Why? Why? We want to know the background information so that we can forge a new path forward. We were raised with good parents who said, hey, we believe that you are unique, you are special, you are important. And we said, okay, we do care about making our mark 
in whatever that and whatever we are involved in. So we're asking, we're really asking if there's a better, more effective way to exist and move forward, especially about our health. All right. Now it is a blessing in many ways, the questions that our generation has brought up, but sometimes it's just annoying and confusing as all get out to know these days what's healthy. One day, eggs are a good, healthy protein that you should be getting a ton of. The next day, a report comes out and says, hey, never eat an egg, egg again. They are poisonous and destructive to your body. And it's confusing. Like, I don't know what to believe. Like, are you kidding me? Some of the body functions that we have that we deem gross and nasty, farting, burping, earwax, sweating, are actually natural and are actually beneficial to our health. All right? It's a good thing. Fart away. It's good. Don't need, like, there's stigmas behind it, like, cultural stigmas. Like, it's, it is okay. Things are not always as they seem. Like, especially in church, right? Like, we have learned that the last year and a half. Things are not always as they seem. So I come back to, we as a church, we as a people, want to ask the right questions. We want to ask the right questions. Specifically, what makes a healthy church? What is health? Because in order to be a healthy church and stay a healthy church and multiply churches, we need to ask, what is healthy? And so the next four weeks, we are going to go through a letter in the Bible written from a guy named Paul to a guy named Titus, who was, it was supposed to be shared with the church, a small, struggling church, connection, network of churches on the island of Crete. Now, Paul was an early church leader, he was a church planter, he was a church revitalizer, and he was a disciple maker. And Titus, who the book is written to, was one of his disciples and traveling companions that Paul spent a lot of time with raising up. And so what Paul does is rather than just holding on to him and keeping him near and enjoying that relationship with his dear brother Titus, he says, hey, I'm going to send out my best and my brightest to, and station him on this island. You can make the call if that's like, a, oh, he gets to be on an island, or if it's like, a, yeah, I don't want to deal with you. You're going off on an island, okay? But the book of Titus is going to be like a little pocket guide into what is a healthy church, what makes up a healthy church. Paul has had a ton of personal experience with this God, with this Jesus, and he understands this God. He's practically partnered with this God to plant churches, to revitalize churches for many years now. He understands God's kingdom and how it operates. He understands Crete. He understands his good friend Titus and why he's putting him there, which means Paul is in a perfect place to speak into how a healthy group of believers should look like and operate and change the culture. And so, Paul raises up Timothy. He says, hey, you are going to stay on this island and Paul writes back to him later to encourage him and give him an outline and a blueprint of how the character of the people on the island of Crete should start to operate. But if you're on the island of Crete, whether it's a healthy church or not a healthy church, and someone writes to you to correct your behavior, you're probably going to be asking like, 
who do they think that they are? Like, who is this guy? What gives him the right to speak into how we are at? And so Paul structures the opening of the letter with his credentials and where he stands on a few important issues so people in Crete knew that he was legit and know, like knew what he was talking about. So let's take a look at the first few verses. Look at Paul's introduction. Paul, a servant of God. Okay, hold up a second. Out of all the titles Paul could use to introduce himself, he first chose servant. It literally means the lowest of slaves, owned by someone for a lifetime to do menial labor. A lifetime of menial labor by his choice. Like Paul says, hey, th that slave, Paul, I'm choosing this. That's what Paul was choosing to. So he's saying, if this is my business card, modern day business card, this is the title, slave. Slave to Jesus, yet he had the highest possible place because he was a slave of God. Absolutely amazing. So he continues, and apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. What Paul's saying is, hey, hi, my name is Paul. God, God says to be here. God has commanded me to be here. Those are my credentials. I bring a message of hope, of eternal life, and new creation available in Jesus, not down the road, right here, right now, to be lived right here, right now. Titus got his orders from me, I got my orders from God. Let's get to work. Let's get to work. So to summarize that, that's kind of his broad thing. To summarize what he's saying, Paul's hope leads to submission in Jesus, which leads to sacrifice for others, which guides where he puts his priorities. And Paul's priorities are reflective of Jesus's priorities because Paul is most concerned above all else with who are the people that are furthest from Jesus. That's who Paul is concerned about. And that is why Paul has assigned Titus to Crete. Continue to read. You can see it in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remains into order to restore a network of churches in place that was known for being, the churches in Crete were known for being unsafe, plagued by violence, full of greed, deception, and sexual corruption. Like, Cretan culture was well known across the ancient world. It had a stigma that's worse than, like, Vegas. Like, think, think the stigmas that we have of Vegas. Worse than Vegas. And so in Paul's introduction, he says, hey, it was promised long ago by a God who does not lie. Now, this little opening comment that kind of sticks out a little bit is an important theme and the whole entire underlying of the whole letter. Because one of the problems in the Cretan churches was that they had blended their ideas about Jesus with their ideas about the Greek gods that they had grown up with and, and were surrounded by, okay? Now, when I realized that this, that, that the people in Crete, when I was, when I was 
studying and realizing that the people in Crete were steeped in Greek mythology. I had two head smack moments. So I was like, oh my goodness. One, I wish that I would actually have read and paid attention and studied a little bit more in middle school English class when we were going through Greek mythology. I'm like, oh, this would have been so helpful. <laughs> Secondly, I wish I had watched more DC and Marvel movies because they are all about the Greek gods. Like all of them. They are all about that. Now, I think they're boring. That's just me. But yeah. It's just the same old thing time and time again. That's why I follow Jesus. Don't need don't need to worry about that. But I guess it's also not too late because like Marvel movies are coming out every other day these days, so Ton, tons of time tons of time to cr- catch up. So anyways, <laughs> I'm so distracted now. Didn't, know, didn't realize I was going to get so much pushback for not liking Marvel movies. <laughs> Cretan people especially loved Zeus. Zeus was their chief god. That's, that's Thor for you Marvel fans, all right? That's Thor. They actually believed that Zeus was born on their island, and they loved to tell stories and mythologies about Zeus's underhanded character. All right, Zeus would seduce women. He would lie, cheat, and steal to get his way. And the Cretans, like, immortalized him for this. They they loved what he is about. They took pride in his shady character and his underhanded ways. And so Paul, in this letter, wants to be super clear that God revealed through Jesus is totally different than Zeus. We are not talking about Zeus. Jesus' basic character traits are faithfulness and truth which means that the Christian way of life will be about truth also, which is going to be a huge change for the Cretans. The Cretans were projecting their culture and their idols into a God they created. They were the lying, self-indulgent, sexually promiscuous people, and so they made a God that was just like them, who was crazy similar to them. I want to ask us, Is it possible that we, on an individual level, church level, cultural level, do the same thing? Don't we kind of project what we want onto our God and like how we think is like how God, we think God thinks, but it's not right. It's it's the opposite way. We seek to be more like God. Is it possible that the things, the people, the ideas of our day start to become our gods made in our image? And if I'm honest, I don't know about you guys, I think we become our own worst God makers when we raise up things, even good things, and project them as the ideal standard for us and for everyone else. And to find them, we usually have to look in places that we never thought we would have to look. Here's what Tim says about how you can identify these counterfeit idol gods. You can identify these counterfeit gods by asking if this idea, feeling, or thing is so central and essential to my life that if I should lose it, my life would feel hardly worth living for. And we can actually practice finding these things in our own lives. And in fact, we should be actively seeking What are those things that if I don't have, then my life is a wreck? Here's a few examples. Life only has meaning if I am highly productive, 
always producing and getting stuff done. I only have worth if I am loved and respected by that person. Fill in your own blank. I only have worth if we are following my definition of good and evil and theology and doctrine and moral code. Another way, in the form of a question, is which of your prayers, when they go unanswered, do you get the most upset about, the most angry about, and the most discouraged? What are they? And if you fill in the blank yourself, and there's things there that are too important, maybe it's become an idol. Now, no, those things will not satisfy the desires of your heart and bring fulfillment. They won't. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus. Okay? So keep that relevant to us. Think about that yourself in your shoes. Paul is watching this happen to the people in the Cretan churches who were once fully committed and trusting in Jesus. So they were once that way, and then they started to believe in these counterfeit idol gods. He's saying, hey, all hope is not lost. But now, the Cretan churches also, to compound the, the problem, the Cretan churches were starting to look, or yeah, they were starting to look more like Zeus rather than Jesus. To make matters worse, they came under the influence of corrupt Cretan leaders who said that they were Christians, but what actually they were doing was just ruining the church with their lying, with their bestial, gluttonous ways and behaviors. And so what we have here in Crete is this pagan, messed up culture that doesn't know Jesus. And we also have this Christian religious leaders who are supposed to be presenting this beautiful, attractive gospel message who are also not acting like Jesus, who are, who are falling into the same trap as the other side. And sadly, it was given the watching world, the opportunity to insult the word of God and to make evil accusations about the faith and, and to reject the good news about Jesus. Belief in Jesus was totally divorced from both behavior in private life and in public life. And sadly, just like in America today, believers were turned off to the gospel, and, and rightly so. Like, why would people reject Zeus in favor of Jesus, if there was no compelling evidence of transformation in the lives of Jesus' followers. So what Paul did was Paul assigned Titus with the task of going there and getting things in order. Like setting a broken, crooked limb straight. Like things were crooked there and things needed to be set right in the church of Crete. But in doing this, Paul, more, probably more so than anything else, Paul wanted to showcase that God is still in the work of transforming people into his image. Even when people are going this way and starting to look more like Zeus, more like the culture, more like counterfeit gods, he's saying, hey, there is still hope. There is still hope for them to be transformed back into the image of God. And he's going to say, hey, church, remember that there is a new task. There is a new way to lead for leaders. There's a new way to live life. There is a new mission at hand. Let's get healthy. Let's get healthy. I love how Paul did not abandon the sin capital of his day. 
He didn't. Rather, he lovingly viewed it as a strategic gospel post. He saw the popular shipping port. It's an island, so it's got shipping ports all around. He saw the popular shipping ports on the island and said, hey, if these churches and these people and this island gets healthy, think of all the multiplication that could possibly happen. Absolutely incredible. And so what Paul is calling these Cretans to, and us today, is to participate, not assimilate. Participate, not assimilate. Not to flee, but to get healthy, be healthy, stay healthy, help other people get healthy. Unhealthy people, sick people, get other people more sick. Healthy people help other people get healthy. And so it's what Jesus did. Not just Paul, it's what Jesus did. He shows us what a healthy life of grace, love, mercy, compassion, and sacrifice looked like in a culture of hatred, self-preservation, idolatry, fear, and insecurity. And even to this day, Jesus is the only source powerful enough to change people like Cretans, people like you, and people like me. Jesus, who saves you, who saves me, who saves us, also wants to get us healthy, to keep us healthy, and to get other people healthy. And this means through the saving work of Jesus and the empowerment of the Spirit, people really can change. Change is possible. Paul believed that the Cretans could change then. He, he would not write a letter to people saying, hey, change, if he didn't actually believe it. It's, it, would, it would have been a waste of his time to send his best friend, who he had raised up and discipled, off to this island. He truly believed people can change, and I believe you and I can continue to change. And maybe, just maybe, the true faithful gospel message can change what has transpired in our country. Maybe, just maybe. And this is where I get super excited. I get super excited of the thought of what could happen if we as a nation, church included in that, would lay down all of our, idolatry, our idolatrous ideologies on both the right and the left that, that operate as like pseudo-religions, fake religions that are nothing, that twist Christianity, that twist Jesus, that draws people away, if not sometimes pushes people away from pure faith in Jesus. Jesus is beautiful. Jesus naturally is compelling. Like what if we were so faithful to Jesus and nothing else that we didn't let our hearts get swept away? We don't have to remain stuck in the image of the false gods of the day or conform to the culture around us. Paul says that the gospel is powerful enough to transform someone into a new creation who then becomes an agent of change within that culture. Whether you live on the island of Crete, whether you live in communist China, whether you live in Islamic Saudi Arabia, whether you live in a more liberal context, whether you live in a more conservative context, the gospel can and is transforming people. Please hear me. You don't need to retreat from culture or wage a culture war to do this. Like in, in fact, don't do that. That is what the enemy wants. He wants us to be divided. He wants us to be able to, he wants us to be unable to talk to people, unable to think critically, unable to understand people, unable to love people with compassion. Also hear me that you, you should not assimilate into the worldly values of our day, which look a whole lot like the Cretans, okay? 
Don't fault either side of that spectrum. Rather, let the grace, the, the story of Jesus, the story of the Bible, the story of God, train and educate you in how to live out a spirit-empowered faithfulness to the teachings, the ethics, the morals of Jesus within our world. And as we live out this countercultural gospel in reliance on the Spirit, I honestly truly believe in a natural, healthy, grassroots way, we'll naturally declare God's goodness and grace to our family, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our friends, to our communities, who knows where else, to the ends of the world. Jesus believed it. Paul believed it. I want to believe it. I pray we as a church believe it. That's the, that's the hope and strategy that Paul had for Crete. How are we going to redeem the world? We are going to show them the beauty and the compellingness of the message about our saving God and the freedom that we've experienced. So Paul shows up and says, Titus, I encourage you. You can do it. Here's how. Let's get to work. And so what does this opening letter of Paul's hope, encouragement, and getting out-of-order church is healthy and back in order mean for us today. As we move on for the next three weeks, Paul is going to kind of keep coming back to this idea of doing the right things in the right ways for the right reasons. Right things, the right ways for the right reasons. If one of those is out of order, we shift towards unhealth. Okay? We shift towards unhealth. Here's how this looks like in my life. A guilty pleasure that I have is I like watching the TV show Cops. Okay? I like Cops. There's just something about it that provides a vicarious trip into the world of policing and street crime for someone like me who has never, ever even been in a fight with another person like physical fist fight, and my only encounter with a police officer has ever been like getting pulled over, okay? It's essentially a grimier, grittier version of America's Funniest Home Videos, okay? Now, a few months ago, I found out that on my TV, there is a free channel that plays all 1,100 episodes of Cops 24-7. 24-7, endless Cops. For about two straight weeks. It's all Sarah and I watch. Sarah, Sarah's in on it too, so it's not just me, but Sarah and I both love watching cops. But it was about that two-week mark that I started to get that like, oh, something is not quite right about me watching this feeling in my gut, okay? I only can attribute it to the Holy Spirit, but yeah, um, so I started, like I said earlier, I started asking questions. Like, where's my heart at? Like, am I, am I healthy? What is healthy? So I, I asked these questions. Am I doing the right thing by watching Cops? Cops is not inherently a bad show. Not necessarily out of order for me. Am I doing it in the right way? Now, I may have been watching too much Cops for my own good. There's, there's possibility, but there's just a genuine curiosity and enjoyment of the show. My attitude was good, all of that, and I learned some good tactics for de-escalating situations between Tim and Tyler in the office, all right? So that, that was a win. But where I was deeply, deeply convicted was when I asked the question, am I watching for the right reasons? 
And it was the Spirit that kind of put on my heart like, oh man, I was watching broken, hurting people play this cat and mouse game with the law enforcement for my entertainment. Like real people, real people with no hope in Jesus that, that I have, no identity, insecurities out the wazoo, fear out the wazoo that's just led to a life of, of endless cycle of addiction, drugs, crime, violence, unable to maintain a job, unable to maintain any sort of healthy relationship, and just being in this endless cycle stuck in the criminal justice system. And I was watching it for my pleasure and my enjoyment. And it's also, it started to affect the way that I would stereotype people in Red Oak, how I would label people, even how I would engage with people whenever I was in public. And it wasn't healthy. It wasn't healthy. And so I, stood, I put a stop to it, and I asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, can you make my heart right, and can you help me to view people with compassion and love and, and not amusement? Would you help me to see people as you see people and love on people as you love on people? And it's changed. And I've moved one step towards health by God's grace. Following Jesus is not just about doing the right things and not doing the wrong things and making sure that you do it with a good attitude to the best of your ability. What Jesus wants is Jesus wants us to get to know him and learn his ways and why he does what he does. Because so often we know what Jesus has done, but we have no clue why he did it. And so we don't know what God would do in any particular situation. But God in his love and grace has actually made himself known to us through the Bible, through all of creation, through the person and work of Jesus, the sending of his Holy Spirit. And Jesus is, Jesus is interested in what you do and how you do it, but he is even more interested in why you do it. I want to ask us all this morning, is your why because of Jesus and his promises and his goodness. At City Light, we are a people who are in love with Jesus. We talk about him all the time. We trust the Father. We want to take every single opportunity in life to evaluate and renew our minds so that we make more and more of the right choices out of more and more of the right thinking. So that our why isn't just because I'm fearful— or because I really, really want to belong, or because I really, really want to be comfortable in life, or because it makes me feel good, but simply why I do what I do is because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. And so here's why, here, here's how I want to just apply this as a church. Here's how I want us to all just think about how do, how, what is the application for this? normalize asking questions. Let's be a people who normalize asking questions. Not surface level questions like heart questions. Like where is my heart at? Like between me and God, us and God, and us and each other. We need to have that freedom and that space. 
to ask the heart questions in a gracious, loving way. Specifically, the questions, is what I'm doing, is what we're doing healthy? Is it healthy? We have to question ourselves. We have to question our motives. Question the leadership. Question us. Question us. In a gracious, loving way, question us. Question doctrine. Question theology. Question our church practices, our church traditions. There needs to be a healthy, safe, gracious space for questions to stay healthy against counterfeit gods. Matthew 28, 16, right before Jesus gives his great commission to his disciples, right before he leaves, it says that there are doubters that are there with him. And so it's clear that doubters and people with questions are welcome. Because there were doubters even after the whole resurrection in Jesus' discipleship party, there were doubters. It is okay to ask questions, to have questions. Questions are welcome. We're going to be a church that asks questions. Are the things that we do for the right reasons? Are we doing it because of and for Jesus and his glory and the advancement of the kingdom? Is it out of relationship with Jesus? Or is it out of religious obligation that we're doing things? Are we doing the right things? Are we doing the things like the efficient way? Or are we doing things the effective, sometimes harder way? Are we, are we Sabbathing? Are we resting? Or are we just go, go, go all the time? Are we spending time with Jesus? Are we in the word? Are we doing the right things? Are we doing things just because that's how it's always been done? Or are we okay disrupting the status quo? Are we doing things that lead to pure heart transformation? Or are we doing things just that lead to outward modification that other people can see? Are we doing things the right way? Whatever we're doing, is it with an attitude of humility, with flexibility, with graciousness, with compassion, with empathy towards others? Are we doing things with a me-focused mindset or with an others-focused mindset? Am I doing it to the best of my ability or am I kind of just doing it lazily? In my, in my tactics for reaching people, for talking to people, Am I using fear and intimidation? Or am I using a compelling story, an invitation to what God is doing? Answers to these questions is not always the point. Walking the path of Jesus is complicated and it is messy. But Jesus was not threatened by questions, doubts, wrestling, all of that. And neither should we. In fact, he invites it. It is a safe place. He can handle your questions. He can handle, like Tim was talking about early, he can handle the wrestling. He wants us to wrestle. And so, as we individually spend time with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did, we ask ourselves, are we doing the right things in the right ways for the right reasons? As a communal church body looking to be an alternate society of love, mercy, grace, compassion, seeking Jesus together, we're going to ask ourselves, are we doing the right things in the right ways for the right reasons? As a church, if we're ever confused or flustered about what we're doing as a church, where we're going as a church, or how we're going about it, 
If we hit a rough patch, we come back to the question. Everybody together, are we doing things in the right way? The right reasons. Oh, I botched that. <laughs> right things, right ways, right reasons. I should have practiced that one a little bit more. <laughs> These few exciting weeks in Titus, Paul is going to help remind us healthy churches values are revealed and reinforced asking questions. Praise God. He reminds us what a healthy church looks like so we can pursue, pursue Jesus and pursue health. And as one of the pastors of this church and one of the leaders of this church, one of the greatest, most important things that we can do for the flock here is attach the right questions to the things that we do. Because Jesus. We move beyond, did it get done? We move beyond, how did it go? To why? Because Jesus. If we love what is good and teach what is good and do what is different with a reason that is holy and set apart from the culture, we will be a different type of spiritual family which influences a new type of humanity that the gospel could create in Southwest Iowa communities. Amen. Let's pray. King Jesus, Spirit, would you just speak right now? Just thank you for your word and just the stories of the people who have gone before us in cultures and environments and climates similar to us. Yet the way that you have gone about moving forward your church is the same. And we just thank you for sending the person of Jesus to help us understand how to live and how this beautiful church movement this beautiful movement of God's people being united. How, how it goes forward. It's just, it's beautiful. And we get to be a part of it. And you show us what health looks like. You show us that health is in forgiveness and repentance and restoration and reconciliation between people and between us and you. And so I pray individually that we would just wrestle with some of those counterfeit gods, the Zeuses. Would you, God, would you reveal those to us right now, today, this week, these coming months of the things that we trust in and start to look like more than you? And when we say, God, we are sorry, we turn away from that, help us get healthy.
Thank you for showing the way through your son. I pray that we would be a healthy church, not for the sake of just being a healthy church and having it all together, for the, for the sake of looking good and drawing more people in, but for your glory and our good. And for the good of thousands of other people that surround the communities that we're in. Jesus, we love you and we praise you and we have a deep hope, just like Paul, for what you want to do here. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.